0: Welcome to The Markets. Oriam Samuelson along with Max Armstrong here. The Dateline, Friday, March 29, Scottsdale, Arizona. And a lot to talk about this week because it was a busy week on Wall Street, a busy week in the world of agriculture, and all of it coming together on this last trading day of the week. Before I share some of the numbers with you, let me share some of the stories of the day. The stock market ended the final trading day of the week, the month, and the first quarter. On a strong note today, the two sides uh, in the trade discussion, United States and China, came up with some what they said is progress in trade talks that concluded today in Beijing. And the talks aimed, at course, of resolving a nearly nine-month trade dispute between the world's two largest economies were called Candid and Constructive by Washington. And it's not over. A Chinese delegation led by Vice Premier Liu He will head to Washington next week for yet another round of talks. And that prompted one analyst to say the prospect of the trade war ending in the very near term is giving a boost to investor confidence and in turn we're closing the quarter with some pretty good gains. So today, let's take a look at the closing numbers on Wall Street for the day, the week, and also for the uh, quarter. And some pretty impressive numbers as we ended. First of all, the Dow Jones up 218 points today at 25,935, the S&P 500 up 19 points, ending the day and the week at 2834. The Nasdaq up 61 points at 7730. For the week, the S&P rose one and a quarter percent. The Dow added one and two thirds percent. The Nasdaq gained a little over one percent. And the S&P has the best quarterly performance since the third quarter of 2009. The best first quarter performance for S&P since 1998. The Dow Industrials reported the best quarterly performance since first quarter of 2013. All in all, very impressive for the month. The S and P up 1.7, the Dow up 500s, and the Nasdaq up two and two-thirds points. For the quarter, the S and P up 13 percent, the Dow up a little over 11 percent, the Nasdaq gained over 16 percent. All in all, not a bad ending to the first quarter of. 2019. And as we take a look at the oil market, well, oil prices did pretty well, too, up about 1% today, posting their biggest quarterly increase in a decade as U.S. sanctions against Iran and Venezuela, as well as the OPEC-led supply cuts, overshadowed concerns over a slowing global economy. The May contract of Brent crude oil uh, expired today, up 57 cents to settle at $68.39 a barrel. That marked a first quarter gain of 27 percent. And U.S. crude up 84 cents. That's up about a percent and a half to $60.14 a barrel, posting an increase of 32 percent in the January through March period. Numbers pretty good, despite all the talk about a slowdown in the economy and the concern over the ongoing trade discussions that really don't seem to be going very far. But at least they're continuing, and they will be continuing again next week. So as we look ahead on the U.S. economic calendar... The Labor Department expected to release its closely watched employment report on Friday for the month of March. An economist polled by Reuters expect non-farm payrolls to have risen by 170,000 after rising by just 20,000 in February. They look for the unemployment rate to be unchanged and average hourly earnings up about two-tenths of a percent. Meanwhile, the ADP National, National Employment Report will release its private payrolls numbers on Wednesday. And on the same day, the Institute of Supply Management's report is likely to show its non-manufacturing purchasing managers index coming in at 58 for the month of March. That would be down slightly from February. And there's a full schedule of appearances at economic get-togethers for the upcoming week by the governors of of the Federal Reserve Bank. All of them are going to be on the road, it looks like. We are about two weeks away from the start of the earnings report season But there are some of those reports that are coming out next week. Constellation Brands expected to report a decline in fourth quarter sales on Thursday. Beer sales likely to be down, hurt by cold weather. Sales of wines also expected to decline, weighed by weak performance of brands including Arbor Mist and Mark West. And investors will keep an eye on that wine category after the company said it would sell or discontinuing uh, underperforming wine brands that retail at under $11 a, bar, a bottle. Walgreens Boots Alliance, that's the largest drugstore chain in the U.S., expected to post a decline in second quarter earnings on Tuesday due to the falling prices of generic drugs. And investors will look out for the 2019 forecast as the company faces reimbursement pressures at its pharmacies and for comments on the status of Walgreens' partnerships. On Tuesday, GameStop Corporation expected to report a decline in fourth-quarter revenue and profit due to stagnating sales in its core video game retail business, with increasing consumer shift to downloading video games. And, of course, there will be reports from our neighbors to the north. Statistics Canada, scheduled to report Canadian jobs data on Friday. And... uh, The uh, Canadian department store chain Hudson Bay expected to report higher fourth-quarter profit on Wednesday as it works on reforming its business and tries to monetize the value of its real estate holdings. Investors will look out for comments on growth plans to boost efficiency as consumers shift away from department stores to e-commerce. So quite a bit uh, going on next week. And on Monday, Commerce Department will report retail sales. And uh, analysts are looking for an increase of about three-tenths of a percent. In another report, Commerce Department is uh, also taking a look at uh, construction spending in December and business inventories as well. So there'll be enough to keep you busy in the marketplace next week on Wall Street as we continue to watch the progress, if any, of the continuing talks between China and the United States on trade issues. Consumer spending and inflation quiet as the economy slowed this week, but from those quarterly numbers you really wouldn't know report from the Commerce Department today showed price pressures muted in January with a measure of overall inflation posting its smallest annual increase in nearly two and a half years. The Federal Reserve last week brought its three-year campaign to tighten monetary policy to an abrupt end. The U.S. Central Bank abandoned projections for any interest rate hikes this year after increasing borrowing costs four times in 2018. The weak consumer spending report extended the run of soft data, ranging from housing starts to manufacturing, that have flagged a slowdown in growth early in the first quarter. But again, as you take a look at those numbers for the end of the first quarter in the marketplace, not all that bad. And gross domestic product forecasts for the first quarter are as low as a nine-tenths percent annualized rate. The economy grew at a 2.2 percent pace in the fourth quarter after expanding at a brisk 3.4 percent rate hike in the July through September period. And so we get ready to take a look at the agricultural market, because there's been a lot of play in that market as well, thanks to some important reports yesterday and today, and also the flooding situation that is having a major impact in grain-producing states. So, Max Armstrong will be joining us with his guest, a newcomer to our show, by the way, and uh, he'll do that when we continue on The Markets.
1: For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all... It's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group, advance with confidence. Talking with us this weekend
2: about the markets, Darren Newsom, Darren Newsom Analysis, Inc., joining us in the studio. Good to have you here with us, sir. Welcome. Thank you, Max. Uh, Enjoying
3: having, enjoying being in. I'm ashamed to say I think this is the first time in my career I've ever interviewed you. It's possible. You know, I know we've been at a number of the same things over the years. uh, But, yeah, I mean, my memory's not good. So this very well may be the first time. (laughs) Or or maybe your memory is good, and it was one of those things that you just wanted
2: to block out. But it's a privilege to have you in the studio with us today. Thank you. i got to ask you right off the bat here, are you as bearish as everybody else?
3: You know, I, my you know my reputation is to be more bearish than everybody. But you, one could, if we look at history of what normally happens from here on out, particularly in the soybean market, you can almost make the argument that everyone's too bearish, and that's incredible. I know, coming from me, uh, but you know, am I still bearish? Yeah, am I as bearish as what some others have turned? Probably not. I'm one of those who likes to compare
2: with what we've seen in history, too. Right? Mm-hmm. People say, you, live, you know, Max, you live in the past too much. <laughs> the reality, though, is this trade war makes it very difficult, does it not, Darren, to compare with what's happened before this, to compare this with another planting season?
3: Absolutely. I mean, there is no analogous year that we can go back to. I mean, some people want to go back 20, 30 years, but the situation has changed so much since then that we can't. We can't go back twenty, thirty years. There's no relevancy. There's, you know, there's, there's basically zero correlation to that situation and what we're facing right now. You know, we can look at the export numbers and say, yeah, but these are about the same. But it's not the same situation. We've grown more soybeans. We've produced more soybeans over the last six years. Uh, the situation is far different, and that's why I guess, you know, as as we sit here, you know, what's interesting to me is. The continued guesses on ending stocks and these sorts of things in soybeans, because we're seeing a huge divergence between, you know, what could be and what is being projected at this time. Uh, It leaves the door open for a lot of possibilities yet this year. And again, the wild card is how long is this trade war going to last? We can talk about drought conditions in the United States, perhaps
2: developing. We can talk about drought someday in South America. But is the world destined to
3: be awash in soybeans for a long time here? It looks like it. You know, uh, we were talking, you know, earlier this year, just as last year where we had the drought in, uh, in Argentina, this year's drought was supposed to reduce Brazil's production. But for some reason, they just keep shipping soybeans. It's like they've got plenty on hand and they keep going to China. So right now, it seems that we have plenty of soybeans on hand and I don't know the supply and demand nobody knows the supply and demand but if i look at the market and i look at the future spreads and i see that the may july spreads covering about 80% of full cal- calculated full commercial carry and i look further out and see similar uh, similar situations tells me that the market believes the world's washing plenty of soybeans that there is no shortage of supply and that we're not going to see uh, some sort of supply scare you know at least in the short term if not the intermediate term future
2: now here's the old guy harkening back to past seasons, Mm -hmm. but we saw it as recently as a year ago. Uh, Is there the possibility during the planting season here, there could be a meaningful spike, that there could be the opportunity for the producer to do some significant pricing?
3: Yeah, and I just posted a look for that very reason. I just posted an updated look at the no-soybean seasonality. And in April and May, we do see soybeans, the November contract, go up about 3%. And so there is... This opportunity, you know, if we close, you know, this week somewhere in the 920 range, uh, that would project out to almost 950 by the time we get to late May. So, yeah, I think there is an, an opportunity. I think we could see that. Uh, it would make sense. There's going to be a lot of talking. There's always some sort of weather event during planting that gets everyone's attention, and get them excited for about five, six days. So, yeah, I think there's still an opportunity. If You know, looking at seasonal studies, I think there's an opportunity for a rally.
2: The real lesson, though, right, Darren, is if we're in those five or six days, mm-hmm. you need to recognize it quickly yeah. before that fifth or sixth day and it's too late.
3: Yeah, you know, again, with the fundamentals as bearish as they are, and when we're, when we're talking about new crop fundamentals, really the only thing that we have any slightest idea on is what beginning stocks. We don't know what their number is going to be, but we know it's going to be large. Uh, it's going to be, you know, record large uh, According to some. So that's the only thing we know. And so what that means is we have a big buffer. We've got a large buffer going into this new crop season. So just to your point if we see this rally, if we see five six days of the market getting excited, we've got to take it, we've got to jump on, it. we've got to recognize it and uh, we've got to use it to our we've got to use it to our advantage. When that
2: happened last spring it was yes, the it opportunity did. of the year
3: wasn't it It was because after that and it usually doesn't give you a second chance uh, because the reality sets in we've got a lot of soybeans, we've got a lot of competition, we don't have a lot of demand and all of a sudden when the comfort level of, of the crop that's in the field goes up, markets tend to go down. We also note that the talks with the Chinese are continuing
2: in some way, shape, or form. And if we see the market uh, getting mm-hmm. whipsawed back and forth by this. If that were to happen to coincide with a weather event or something else, that could contribute perhaps. But again, this is a short-term thing, likely, right? I mean, this isn't going to be an
3: extended rally, is it? No, I don't think so. And, and you know, the, the trade talk stuff happens about every week. Uh, you know, either on Friday afternoon or over the weekend, we see, "Oh, yeah, trade talks are going really well," and you know, hope to see some sort of market reaction. Market seems to be growing numb to this sort of thing, and I think the reality is, is we're deep. You know, we're into the second half of the marketing year now for both corn and soybeans, and when it comes to soybeans, we're not going to catch up. We're not going to catch up with USDA's projection at this point, and that's why you know it is going to be interesting to see in subsequent reports, particularly once we get to the May monthly supply and demand report. What USDA starts to do when nobody's paying attention to old crop numbers anymore, uh, what they start to do with ending stocks numbers at that point. So we've got that to look forward to. But I just don't see us catching up. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if we get the headlines uh, with any substance behind them, the trade talks are actually going well. The market could react. I think it's going to be short term. But until we see talks that you know intellectual property uh, is there's actually being progress made there. Everything else is just everything else is just fluff at this point.
2: Intellectual property, and if we can find a way to actually police it, and that's the and thing, guarantee how, that they're abiding with they a deal. There's no way of doing that. I mean, <laughs> so that's 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 a real problem. Past performance is questionable on the part of those <laughs> exactly. characters, isn't it? <laughs> what about corn?
3: Yeah, corn. Um, corn is a fascinating market right now. It's fascinating. In, it, it's fascinating in the same way that watching a sloth uh, at a zoo is fascinating. It doesn't ever move. <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's something going on. You know the sloth is alive. There's something going on with it. Just never moves, and that's the way corn is. We've got this huge non-commercial short position going on in in the corn market, and they're not and they're not covering that. We've got bearish fundamentals. If we look again at the May July spread, we've got bearish fundamentals. Uh, we've got basis that remains firm, firmer, stronger than uh, stronger than average, and the futures market doesn't want to go down. It doesn't want to go up, but it doesn't want to go down. And usually when you look at this combination of bearish fundamentals and a large fund net short position, markets are usually under pressure. It doesn't matter what market it is. Corn's holding together relatively well. I have a rule that says a market that can't go down won't go down. And so there's something out there that we don't know that's supporting the corn market right now. And so it's going to be interesting, again, uh, to watch this play out over time. Who's going to Who's going to win? Does you know right now funds and, and and commercials are on the same side. They're both bearish. Does one of them blink and turn bullish, or does one of them cover their short position? If so, does this give us an opportunity, even if we've got plenty of corn on hand uh, for a decent rally in old crop and maybe even spilling over into new crop? I think it's out there. I think there's again. It's hard for me to say. Uh, people aren't going to believe I'm not as bearish as usual, but. It certainly looks like that potential is still out there. Has
2: the flooding of the Missouri River Valley perhaps contributed, at least in recent days, to putting that floor, as such, under the corn market? But the question mark out there, we're not sure about how much is lost here. The the easy answer would
3: be to say yes.
2: But this persisted probably. This was probably in place even before the flooding.
3: It, It was, you know, and so we see the funds, and one would have thought that they would have covered some of their position given the headlines and yeah. the pictures associated with the flood, but they haven't. Of course, those haven't played much on the coasts. <laughs> they haven't played much on the coast. And, you know, then we, when we look at the spreads and they haven't moved. The only thing, the only area where we've really seen this, really seen the flood seemingly play out is in basis. And basis has continued to firm the last couple of weeks. But again, the trend was for stronger basis anyway. Uh, no one was wanting to sell over the course of the winter. All the bins were snowed in, and everything else. So we've seen some we've seen some strength in basis. Will this continue? To me, the true story as far as the flood is localized, is regionalized, uh, and that's going to play out in the basis. I just don't see it having right. a big effect, at least not right now. Looking at the spreads and looking at the futures themselves. We uh, will probably be a while before we get our arms around the loss there, will we
2: not? And that would apply, I would think, to livestock, too.
3: Right. And 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 it certainly will. Uh, you know, we don't really know how much of the grain on farm uh, in on farm storage was lost during this thing. You know, again, you see the horror stories, you see the crime scene photos, basically, of burst bins of this grain floating in these in these swollen rivers. And, uh, you know, it's just. Miles and miles of this same thing, dead uh, livestock. No matter you know, everywhere you look. When the water's in the bin, it's in the entire bin. Absolutely. I, I mean,
2: even if it's only two or three rings up.
3: Yeah. You know, that's that's what they're saying. Yeah. And, and there's really no salvaging. Uh, you know, you can't really move that grain into any sort of market uh, if it's been spoiled, and it's just going to sit there and get wetter and wetter all the time. So yeah, there's a, there's a real problem in that area along eastern Nebraska and parts of western Iowa. The question, again, is how widespread is it? How much of a, of a large effect will this have? Again, I see it more as a local regional market uh, situation until proven otherwise, until the market tells me, until the bigger market tells me that it's also concerned about it.
2: It's not unimportant geography. What if, though, if the weather scenario plays out to be just what it has been, continued mm-hmm. wet, continued mm-hmm. cold? And it keeps farmers out of the fields, not just yeah. there, but the damage has been done, but in a wider area.
3: That's going to make things interesting. If you know, right now we're seeing all of these uh, maps projecting flooding this spring, because you know we're going to get the snow melt from the northern plains moving into the rivers. We're, you know, supposed to have wetter than normal uh, situations across much of the Midwest. If this plays out, you know, just as we talked about with the uh, with the no beans, I think we could see December corn. Uh, post a planting season, maybe even an early summer rally, depending on how how severe this gets, depending on how this actually plays out. I think there's some room uh, for December corn to move up. It ha- again, it hasn't wanted to do anything. It stays within this tight range. Uh, it just does what corn likes to do, but it could certainly move up towards the upper end of that uh, if we see uh, if we see these uh, severe situations really play out this spring. Darren, it's great
2: to have you in the studio. We can talk with you much longer, but we appreciate the, the opportunity for folks who want to follow you or perhaps subscribe mm-hmm. to your newsletter. How do they go about it?
3: All right. They can find me on Twitter at either Darren, you know, just at Darren Newsom or at Newsom Analysis. Uh, and our website is uh, darrennewsom.com for Darren Newsom Analysis, Inc.
2: Darren, D A R I N. Newsome, Newsom N-E-W-S-O-M. Okay, that's correct. All right. We'll follow you. Thank I think you I nice. already do, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Good to have you here, sir. We appreciate it. All right, thanks. Darren Newsom.
1: For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all... It's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need, today and in the future. CME
0: Group. Advance with confidence. Before I talk agricultural news on the markets this week, I received an email, as did many of you, from the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall, a poultry, cattle, and hay producer from Greene County, Georgia, who is the 12th president of the American Farm Bureau. And I would like to share the first paragraph of that email. Quote, Many of you know that my wife, Bonnie, has been in the hospital for several weeks recovering from emergency surgery related to her cancer. And I've been spending a lot more time in Georgia than in Washington lately. Bonnie is doing much better. Still a long road ahead, but she's getting stronger every day and we're both so grateful for the outpouring of well-wishes and prayers we have received. I know that your prayers have made a difference, and from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. That from Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, and we'll continue to send our prayers that way. Well, looking at reports this week, The Department of Agriculture put the March 1st hog inventory 2.1% above the same point a year earlier. The breeding inventory rose by 2.2% and the market hog inventory up 2.1%. Future farrowing intentions were smaller than expected, suggesting hog producers may be thinning their herds following a five-year-long expansion now let's talk about the reports that came out today soybean stocks today reported at uh, both corn and soybean supplies massive as farmers finalize their planting plans for the spring quarterly stocks report usda put domestic corn supplies as of march 1st at 8.6 billion bushels that's down from 8.8 a year ago but still the third biggest on record. And uh, the uh, expected corn stocks, uh, they'd expected 8.3 billion bushels, according to the average of estimates. In its soybean stocks report, 2.7 billion bushels, the largest on record for the time period and also well above market forecasts. And in its Prospective plantings report. The government said that farmers plan to plant 92.8 million acres of corn and 84.6 million acres of soybeans. And uh, all of that, of course, questionable because of the weather that we've been experiencing. But uh, we saw what happened to the markets today, and I'll review those prices for you uh, at the Close of our broadcast today. And some of the comments from traders and analysts on the report today. Jack Scoville, analyst at the Price Futures Group, said You have to realize this was a snapshot of the first week of March before we got into the flooding situation we're in now. And all of these numbers, especially the planting intentions, are probably more a suggestion than anything that's real. The stocks are what they are, but then again, we've lost some corn in these grain bins that got flooded. How much? We don't know. But that's at least a little bit too high. We have to be very careful of getting too bearish, Just looking at these numbers for the first time, we're getting into an area of pretty strong support in these markets. The words of Jack Scoville with the Price Futures Group reacting to the news today of the planting intentions and the uh, corn and soybean and wheat stocks. So that's what we're going to be dealing with in the marketplace as we come to next week. And speaking of next week, let's take a look at where we're going to start the week trading on the grain and livestock futures. The uh, July wheat, 463 and a half, July corn, 366 and a quarter, and July soybeans will start the week at eight ninety seven and a quarter. But corn was down seventeen and a quarter cents today. And that's our time for this week. As always, on behalf of Max Armstrong and myself, thank you for joining us on the markets.